0: Kia ora and welcome to Talking Dairy, where we dive into the most important topics on the minds of New Zealand dairy farmers. Now stepping back from the day-to-day running of the farm is an exciting stage in life, but one that can be complex. So if you're looking to transition off the farm, what are the big things to consider? What are some of the common pitfalls and how can you avoid them? And for farmers looking to step back next season, what are the three key things you can do now to be in the best position? With us in the studio today is James Allen, Agribusiness Consultant and Managing Director of Ag First Waikato. James has a ton of experience helping farm owners through the process of transition planning and succession planning. We're grateful to him for joining us, and I know you'll enjoy what he's got to share today. Well, good morning, James, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast on this very
1: cold morning in Newstead. How are you? Oh, thanks, Ben. Yeah, better to be inside than outside today. We've had a few frosts and now we've got frost and fog. Good man.
0: Hey, James, just to get things going, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Tell us what, what you do in your consultancy work and your experience, uh, you know, how long you've been doing it for and what an average day looks like for you.
1: Sure, Ben. So, you're showing my age a bit here, but I've been. Uh, in a farm consultancy role since 1996 uh, working for a firm originally and for the last 20 odd years running and managing ag first in the Waikato and further afield. For our day-to-day work we term it whole farm management so we look at all aspects of farming around uh, the financial aspects, the governance aspects, technical aspects such as uh, fertilizer and feed and cropping and animal health And, of course, labour and environment. So we look at all key aspects of farming and not just dairy farming. We cover uh, dairy, sheep and beef, horticulture and all types of primary industry land uses. And did you grow up on a farm yourself? I did. Originally from a sheep and beef farm. uh, So I got converted into dairy, uh, having lived in the Waikato for quite some time. And, uh, look, we love the Waikato and this is home. I see that we just had the um, young farmer of the year winners were announced
0: last weekend and I was reading that you were way back in 99 and 2002, you were a grand finalist.
1: (laughs) That's right, it's uh, going back a year or two Ben, but uh, certainly Young Farmers was a big part of our life for quite some time, both uh, competing in the grand final for for a couple of years, which was great for personal development and networks and it's uh, one of the, the best parts of our lives really. And from there, it's led to um, being president of Young Farmers and the contest for a few years as well. And well done to the contestants Um, who've just been through that process and the winner. Well done. Mm. So James, on this topic of transition planning and succession planning, which
0: we're talking about today, it would be really useful if you could perhaps set a bit of the scene for us. What are some of the, maybe the trends that you're seeing or what are the drivers behind the decisions that farmers are making? whether to transition
1: off the farm or not? People need to, to transition at some stage in their dairy career, like it or not. So the the key thing is deciding when and how. But what, what are the drivers to that? Typically, we see people are, are just, they're getting a little bit tired and they're, they're in time and they're in need of a change, I suppose. But what are the reasons for that? Often it comes down to an increasing level of compliance um, and responsibility there increasing labour pressures, or sometimes it's just financially it's time to make a change. But uh, if I had to pick one of them, I think the, the labour pressure is a big one at the moment. And are there any particular
0: challenges that you can foresee
1: that our sector needs to be
0: preparing for? Yeah, it sounds like it's the labour the labor issue.
1: Yeah, look, if, if we look at where the trends are, I don't foresee us uh, getting a lot more labour into um, into New Zealand anytime soon and we're finding it more and more challenging to get good staff on farm and pretty much all of New Zealand needs more staff at the moment. So there's some real challenges out there, not just for farming. So I do see labour pressure as being the number one driver. To me, the environmental pressures are there, but if people just take their time to think about how and plan it out, you can work your way through that, but the labour one is, is big.
0: Mm-hmm. James, what do you love about your job? What do you enjoy about helping farmers go mm-hmm. through this process?
1: Oh, look, ultimately uh, our, our role is, is dealing with people. And uh, while there's a, a, a component of technical skill, uh, ultimately it's about managing uh, and working with people, and that's the bit we really enjoy. And the, the, the successful or the exciting bits in our job are when you see um, young farmers progress through their careers, or you're just helping someone in their farming business grow, grow their their capital, uh, reach their goals, and by uh, achieving a certain level of growth, it, it allows them to do other things with their lives. So when we get those great success stories of, of, of personal growth for our clients, that's what really gets us going. Mm. So for a farmer who's
0: wanting to step back from the daily running of their farm, what are some of the key things that you
1: would recommend they consider? So if you are looking to step back, I think the first thing to to consider is why. Why are you looking to step back? What are those drivers? Is it something that you can solve yourself um, or with a bit of help? Or is it something bigger than that? And uh, are, are you looking for a real change? But um, just be clear on, uh, if you make a change, is it going to uh, resolve the why of, of what you're doing here? Are there any other things that, you know, that they should be thinking about? Yep, there's plenty to think about. You need to be thinking about the, the financial viability of uh, any changes that you might make. So, for example, if you're putting on a uh, 50-50 share milker, herding owning share milker, obviously you're selling the um, machinery and the herd, but of course you're halving the, the income that you get as well. So you need to be very clear about the change in profitability for your farm. Can you still service the, the level of debt that you'll have and, and managing that cash flow process? So, so that's one. The other key one is understanding that the level of control that you might be giving up. And this needs to be clearly uh, negotiated with the, the new party coming in, into the farm. For example, with once again, if you have a a herd-owning share milker, what sort of responsibility are you delegating? Can they go and uh, repair a fence line without um, asking you, or do you want some consultation to go on first? So it's negotiating and agreeing on the boundaries with the other people. And sometimes that letting go can be the most challenging thing. You know, this has been your pride, your baby, you've developed it over the years, and now you're handing over the reins. So... And that can take time to adjust. So manage that process carefully.
0: In your work as a consultant, when you're helping farmers through this process, do you often have to slow them down a little bit just to get them to think about these things?
1: Like the farmers often rush ahead a little bit and make the decision a bit too quickly? We've seen both ends of the spectrum, Ben. We've seen people take too long to make a decision and sometimes they've missed the boat for their own health reasons or Sometimes if they're passing on to a a young family member, maybe they've left it too long to hand over the reins. That can cause complications in itself. On the flip side, we've also seen people in the middle of calving when it's been raining and they're on their own and everything's tough. They've made a snap decision at the wrong time of the year to sell the herd and make some changes, and they've come back to regret it later on in the process they've done. So... It needs to be the right balance. You need to think this through carefully, but don't take forever either. <laughs> it probably leads on to the, the next
0: question I've got, which is about some of some of the pitfalls. What sorts of things do farmers need to be aware of and what sort of mitigations can they put in place?
1: So number one, I think, is making sure if you're handing over the reins to whatever degree is you're handing it to the right people. So this comes back to that chestnut of good recruitment process. So that is so important and we find in in our role as a farm consultant that the best thing we can do is help a farmer find the best possible manager or shear market for, for their farm. And if we've helped in that process, the rest of our job is a whole lot easier. So point one is good recruitment and I suppose point two leads on to that is Having a think about what level of control you're willing to to pass on to that person, but also what level of accountability you're expecting. So you need to give people, let the reins go, give them some space to make their own decisions, but you also need to create that accountability. By that I mean what's acceptable behaviour, what's not acceptable, what are the results you're looking for, how will you measure whether you've achieved those results at the end of the year, and what are we going to do differently? So summing that up, it's around good recruitment, getting the good people, giving them the reins, but creating accountability.
0: Are you able to flesh that out a bit, the recruitment process? What does a good recruitment
1: process look like to you? So think about timing of recruitment, and the mistake we often see happening is not giving enough space in terms of the recruitment time frame. So in the 21-22 uh, the season we're in now, if we're looking to, to have a, a shear milker on for, for next season, we'll be starting the planning phase right now um, over carving. So by October and maybe November at the latest, we're ready to go with the recruitment process because we, we tend to find that the best uh, shear milkers and contract milkers, that's when we're finding them then. If you um, leave the cr- recruitment process too late, maybe February, March next year, it becomes a little bit of a lottery. You might find someone good, but you're running short of time. So point one, then is, is, is having the time to do it. Point two is, is making sure you've thought through the agreement properly as well. And there's plenty of examples in the industry where the agreements are, I suppose, unfairly weighted towards the um, to the farm owner and the contract milker maybe just isn't getting enough to get by. So it needs to be fair for all parties, but if the contract is, is too tight, then they don't employ enough labour to get the job done and ultimately your farm suffers as well. Mm. So it's really important that farmers take a planned approach, yeah? Yeah, very much so. Look, um, in, the planning s- starts now f- for next season. You need to think it through, but also you, you do ne- need to make these decisions and get on with it at some stage. So we would encourage people to think through and look at the options at the moment. If you're saying, well, it's time to meet a for me to stand back and and let someone else do it. Are you looking at a a manager, at a contract milker, a lower order share milker, uh, a herd owning share milker, or maybe leasing the farm out, or or maybe an equity partnership? So there's six options there, which is going to be the best option for you. And a number of those structures or options um, may have legal implications in the operating structure. They've got implications with staffing, with, with housing, Uh, maybe with the machinery that you need, do you need to upgrade your shed even? So there's quite a bit to think through. And and leaving it too late, you just simply run out of time and you, you won't get the good people.
0: You were talking earlier about the why, so farmers knowing why, why they want to make this change. I presume part of that is about what they're looking forward to, what they want to move on to. Is that something you have discussions with farmers about, about what next, what's happening after
1: farming? Yes, it is. Look, we're not life coaches as such, but um, we, we do raise that point because, you know, some people have invested their entire life in, into farming. That is their love. So if you don't have any other interests and then you're stepping back from day-to-day farming, there's a big gap in your life. So it is starting to plan that out a little bit and saying, what are, what are my off-farm interests? Do I le- want to live on-farm or off-farm? What does that look like? And it's not usually just one person. There's often two or more people in this discussion. So what do they both want to do? So there's a number of discussions happening there. But once again, that takes time. And thinking that through, where are you going to live? Some of our clients, we've got a managed transition process. And it it might be a five-year plan to get to this. They've shifted off farm. They've put on maybe an operations manager to oversee things. And then they're starting to look at their off-farm investments as well. So there's a number of factors to consider.
0: Who would you recommend that farmers involve in, in this decision? Uh, who should they get a, you know,
1: around them in their support team? Well, look, I think for, for anyone in running any business, a support team is really important. And the, the process I would tend to suggest is, is initially get a, a wide range of views from as, as many people as you like. And farmers learn from farmers and they're their best support network. So talk to your mates about, you know, what what they're doing, what's working, what's not. But once you you start to get it serious, you need to narrow it down in terms of what are the options, what are the viability of each option, and and what are the legal implications. So typically the support network will involve the accountant, farm consultant, lawyer, and bank manager that would be the, the four key people in addition to the, the farm team. And you can talk to them individually, but often pulling them together once or twice will get common viewpoints and a common understanding of what the issues are. And while it might seem expensive to have all those people in the room at the same time, ultimately you are saving a lot of money because you're not having five different conversations with different people. So
0: farmers who are working towards stepping back in the, season what are three things that they can do now to be in the best position for that change and I think we sort of talked about it a bit before about with that recruitment process but
1: what are some of the other things they might want to start thinking about now sure okay the the three top points I would suggest are are one is is being clear on why you're stepping back don't make a rest decision but do make a decision Two is um, doing your homework on the financial viability of your business if you make these changes. And three is setting a really clear timeline in place to to make sure uh, you're getting the right people on board. Because if you leave it it too late, uh, you're going to have to miss out a season or you're going to end up with the wrong people and the wrong decisions.
0: Is there a typical length of time with which you might be supporting a farmer or a couple along this process? You know, is it usually... 12 months, a couple of
1: years? Succession planning as a whole does take years. If we narrow it down into the decision to to step out of the shed and and do other things, it's probably a minimum of a two-year process. Mm. Uh, It can be up to five years, depending on the complexity of the farm system and uh, the infrastructure changes required and those sorts of things. Uh, So for one couple we're working with, it's been about a Four-year process, first thing is making sure we've optimised the the farm system, then wrapping some policies around it so anyone can step in and do the job. Then we've gone to making those policies work remotely. And the fourth step is now the farmer is working, uh, living off-farm, I should say. And so we've managed that transition over a four-year time frame.
0: So are you saying you'll actually be working with the farmer even once they've left the farm?
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, that's if they still own the farm, I should say. Sure, yeah. And uh, they're treating it as an investment. They might be doing other things with their day-to-day lives, but they still need to have oversight and uh, control of the farm. And in our case, uh, we might be involved in two aspects. One might be at at a technical supervisory level, or the other side might actually be in the governance level. Uh, making sure we're pulling together the um, the leadership team on the farm, I suppose, and having quarterly governance meetings. And that can be as simple as making sure we're reviewing the, um, the budget, performance to date, reviewing the, the, the HR and the environmental policies on farm, and making sure the overall plans are being achieved. Uh, you don't have to overdo that in a governance perspective on most farms, but there is a process that needs to be followed. Can
0: you recommend some material for people who want to know more on the subject? Where, what are the main places you'd say to go to for support?
1: Sure. Look, over the years we've worked with DairyNZ and Federated Farmers, and really the, the resources on the DairyNZ website are very, very good. So that would be my first port of call in most cases. Going to DairyNZ and looking on their website for the resources there. When it comes to actually putting agreements in place, our typical go-to is the Federated Farmers Agreements. They're, they're pretty solid. Mm,
0: sure. So on the Dairy site, that's stuff around the due, due diligence and business operating structures, things like that.
1: That's right. And and financial management and making sure your budgeting process is, is correct and governance and so forth. Uh, it's quite w- well laid out. James, that's brilliant stuff. Really good advice. Is there anything else that you'd
0: want to cover today before we finish up?
1: Look, I I think treat farming, A, as a lifestyle, but B, it it is a business and, you know, you've got a a significant capital investment there, so you you don't want to put that at risk by getting it wrong at the the closing stage of your your career. So just make sure it is planned out. As I say, take your time, but there is also life after farming as well, (laughs) so (laughs) make sure you, you, you get out in time to enjoy the other things in life as well. Awesome.
0: Thanks so much, James. Pleasure, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms.